Welcome to this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate. I'm your host, Garth Sundin, Communications Director at MAPS. And today we're speaking about discovering and engaging hidden thought leaders and their networks with experts from IQVIA. We have Jen Millard, Vice President of Field Medical Affairs and Market Access Deployment Services, and Kim Platten, Lead Principal for the Thought Leader Network Center of Excellence. This episode is sponsored by IQVIA with a mission to discover previously unseen insights, drive smarter decisions, and unleash new opportunities. So, uh, Jen, let's start with a question I have always wanted to ask, which is, we know the terms KOLs and thought leaders, uh, but are they the same, and is there a difference? Uh, That's a great question. In fact, I'm going to let Kim take the first pass at answering and addressing that one. Sure. So, Garth, we actually tend to stay away from the term KOL as it really focuses on prominent scientific focused HCPs who are publishing, speaking, and are known at the national and even global level. That's not to say that that's no longer important. It's incredibly important. But identifying traditional KOLs is no longer enough. Identifying thought leader networks and communities allows you to reach leaders at every level of leadership and their HCPs and communities. This is crucial to ensure your scientific platform and the brand goals can be executed effectively. And HCPs make decisions to adopt and advocate for brands like we all do. They wanna be thorough, make the right decisions for their patients' treatments. So they start with educating themselves and then they lean on HCPs they trust at the regional and local level to validate or invalidate their treatment decisions. Well, okay, so why do we then engage these thought leaders? You know, if KOLs are are driving the key opinions, uh, why would we look below those key opinion leaders that that tend to be easy to find and, and maybe look for these hidden thought leaders? Well, advisors and at these levels, at these peer and community levels, are trusted peers. It, it, they have a friendly relationship, a trusted relationship, and so ultimately, they play a big play a big part in a decision to try a new novel treatment. They're kind of in between that KOL and the high volume practicing practitioner. So, getting these peers that provide advice and discussion. Um, helps you make the difference to potentially get early adopters and an uptick early in the life cycle and closer to launch. And this is really the difference between getting early adoption versus lagging adoption. Okay. You mentioned launch, and that is something that is on our members' minds a lot lately, especially in this new era of COVID, which has had a major impact on launch activities. Uh, Jen, do you see in this new normal of launch, are there industry or environmental changes that make it especially important to engage with these thought leader networks? Yeah, I think, you know, largely we've lived in a face-to-face environment. Um, Us as people, doctors, who they're communicating with, um, right? And we all know that um, the last 18 months plus have really accelerated that change to include dirt, digital, and virtual or screen-to-screen interactions. Um, You know, 
we we hear from lots of surveys that are being done that the thought leaders, the KOLs, they really want to uh, maintain some level of face-to-face -face interaction, especially with MSLs and those who are communicating medical and scientific information. Mm -hmm. um, I always think about, I'm a consumer of healthcare, and so I like to kind of think through, what do I want my doctor to know? Whether they're considered a thought leader or in someone's network, I want my doctor to be the smartest at what they're treating me, right? I think about my grandmother and wanting her doctors to be informed um, and provided with the right information. And so when we think about the network and the dissemination of that info, we really, really want all of our healthcare providers to be the, the most informed. And it is a changing, very dynamic environment we're in because we have these virtual or screen-to-screen -screen interactions that can be challenge, more challenging to schedule, more challenging to communicate the right information in the time that you're allotted. So I think from identifying who are the most influential folks and what their network looks like to be able to activate it is really important. And you need to be as impactful as possible during that, during that uh, interaction that you have uh, with that particular uh, HCP or thought leader. All right. So Kim, let's talk about how to do it. You know, we have these famous KOLs. And we have these hidden thought leaders. I, I don't know if it's a difference between a top-down approach where you could look at KOLs easily from the top and work down and maybe a bottom-up approach for the hidden thought leaders. But what is the best way to, to create and then leverage these thought leader networks? You know, we do this locally, regionally, nationally. How do we do it? That's a it, it, you, you really hit the nail on the head. It has to be a top-down approach so that you still are finding the most prominent, nationally known, most effective um, leaders for your, for your scientific narrative. So they're publishing and they're participating in your clinical trials. Um, they're, they're at the um, organizations such as advocacy groups, et cetera. These are really important because they all have pull through and they will, they're the ones that leaders at all levels, including the practicing HCPs are gonna go to ultimately for the information. But then you do take that bottoms up approach where mm -hmm. you're trying to find those local and regional leaders that maybe are not the highest practicing practitioners. They don't have the highest volume, but they're kind of the intermediaries. They're the ones that maybe have been practicing for quite a while, have a very um, large interest in a specific disease or therapy, maybe you know, because of personal reasons, maybe because this is something that they've had great success in. And so they really help to get from that high national leader to those high practice, high volume practitioners that are just really busy every day. And they are able to, you know, help those practitioners make decisions when they're trying to see, am I going to try a new novel therapy? You know, I'm treating a patient. They've been difficult to treat. I've tried different things. Why would I try this new therapy? Um, I'm going to call, you know, Garth to find out what he thinks because I trust him. And I know he has a lot of experience in this, in this area. <laughs> Kim, you have a really great example um, from an oncology 
um, specific therapy area. And I think it would be good to, as we talk about creating and leveraging, like that specific example that, that we had talked about, um, I thought would be great to, to explain to, to the audience. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, you know, it is a good time to take a step back and and really understand these networks from the bottom up. And what we've done is we've done a, a recent oncology uh, study um, on, a, on a new novel therapy. And we discovered that there are about 12,000 targets in this area um, of oncology. It's a yeah. lot. You know, when you're when you're looking at, you know, deploying an MSL team and 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 leading up to launch and and in just all of your Medifair's um you know practices, mm-hmm. 12,000 is a lot to get to. How do you get to them? What we were able to discover is that there are about 2,500 networks. Now this becomes more palatable. Now we know that there are 2,500 networks across the country, mm-hmm. but more importantly, there's 90 communities. 90 communities. So if you can find these HCPs that are kind of at the hub of these communities and disseminating the information, this becomes much more impactful. Now you know who to go after. Um, It's not just how much knowledge a person has, it's who's following them and who's taking advice and discussion from them. And that's so interesting that it's not necessarily the people who are on PubMed. You know, you're talking about finding finding these people who are local, regional thought leaders. And, you know, I can imagine that as you head to launch, you you would need to pre-equip these thought leaders with your scientific narrative. But, you know, different teams have different needs based on where they are in the product life cycle. Um, where, where do you see these thought leader network engagement activities going now and in the future? Are, are, are there emerging trends in how teams are engaging with these networks across the life cycle? Yeah, and I'll start, I'll start first and let, let Kim add on. Um, I think that you know, again, I talked about being a consumer of healthcare, and I think if we remember to put the 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 idea that we're here to create better health outcomes um, mm-hmm. for uh, you know the the population, when we put that at the center, we can really start to understand needs and gaps within these communities uh, within local and regional areas, right? Because not every community is going to have the same need or gap from a patient perspective. And then from the, the doctors who are treating those patients, right there, they, we need to really start to understand what their gaps are, what their needs are in order to develop the appropriate engagement plans from wherever we start in the life cycle. And if we think about how we engage with thought leaders as early as you know preclinical trials um, to start to understand the medical need, the unmet needs of our patient populations, you know we we start to think about it from a development uh, product development perspective where we're engaging clinical trial through phase one and phase two, and this informs you know, our patient reported outcomes, what is going to be our primary and secondary endpoint, and it aligns to the medical community's needs and our patient's needs from a health outcome perspective. Okay. Yeah. If I could just add on to that a little bit, you know, one of the trends I really think is, is here to stay, and it certainly was contributed to because of 
COVID, you know, COVID and, and the pandemic. Um, there's less feet on the street. There's a less time with the practitioners. And so you really do need to pivot and, and see how else can you get to these practitioners. So by understanding the networks, you can expand your capacity to teach these, these HCPs. They can help you advocate for your brand. Um, and really, like Jen was, was mentioning, help them understand what the NMET need is, what the safety and uh, benefit and efficacy is of the, of the therapy. Um, you know, the field forces are getting smaller. And like I said, FaceTime with the HCPs in person and virtually is less than ever before. So you need to find ways to create contagion. And huh. to create contagion, yeah. you need to get to these leaders that have very, you know, large networks and can really make a difference um, in your launch. And even beyond into commercialization, as you're even defending maybe your product as new therapies come out. Oh, that's such an interesting idea of, of contagion. And I know that there's what a negative connotation to that, but I, I know what you mean, where, where you want your opinion to spread through groups like a contagion might. Oh, I would love to look at the modeling on that. That's so interesting. <laughs> well, and I can imagine also, Jen, you're talking about, so, so we're talking about across the life cycle. The launch, I think we have fairly well nailed down. It's interesting to think about after launch where you might be defending your molecules or whatever. And it's interesting to look at very early in the life cycle, potentially that's an opportunity for relationship building that you're then going to leverage once you get towards, towards launch. Absolutely. So, okay. So how do you create, so these connections between these thought leader networks, we talked about how to find these hidden thought leaders. We talked a little bit about when to engage these thought leaders, but how do you create these connections between MSL teams and these thought leader networks? Oh, that's a, that's a great question, right? And one that is incredibly challenging, as Kim mentioned, fewer um, actual resources are, are able to connect um, you've got 15 to 20 minutes, maybe, during a virtual or screen-to-screen -screen interaction. And so I do think it's that that important, how, how what do I say in those 15 to 20 minutes? And more importantly, how do I assess what my thought leader is asking for? Um, what do they need? I mean, it's interesting with MSL interactions, um, as opposed to sort of promotional or sales teams, we're really guided by what the healthcare provider wants. We can go as broad and as deep as the conversation, um, you know, lends itself to, or it could be not. And um, that interaction, you know, in order to, to really build that relationship and really uh, guide the conversation, you have to have trust, you have to have respect. And that comes from that, you know, unbiased medical information and really understanding patient need. And you mentioned too, Garth, you know, we, we talked about pre-launch and maybe defending. I think it's also important to recognize that our MSLs with that trust and respect bring back the idea of what's next, right? And maybe there's 
additional clinical information, additional studies that need to be done that we can then disseminate as that information comes out because we know that our doctors, our thought leaders were asking for it, right? If there's a lot of questions that are arising, and we see this a lot with the pandemic, a lot of questions around interactions, um, what does it mean for my patient population? And so all of that can come back to the medical affairs team to R&D to, to further develop the clinical story around, around the product. That's so interesting. We're talking about such a technical landscape. You know, we're talking about finding these networks and creating contagion that flows through networks. But at the end of the day, we're talking about trust and relationship building and, you know, how to give HCPs the ability to treat their patients. Yep. in a more successful way. So I one thing that caught me my eye with IQVIA that I wanted to make sure we touched on because I don't know what it is and I'd like to hear more about it is dynamic deployment. So can, <laughs> can you tell me what in the world is dynamic deployment? Yeah, it's uh, we want to talk about dynamic and, and, and being proactive and, and really what I think about, especially with field medical affairs teams is how do you appropriately disseminate the information that you have on your scientific narrative um, in order to meet healthcare providers' preferences and needs? Mm -hmm. And how do you do it with the right number of people? And how do you decide when uh, something needs to be digital, when it's a phone call, when it's face-to-face, -face, when it's screen-to-screen? -screen? And across the life cycle, the therapy area, the clinical information that's being developed, right? There are levers that you can pull to scale up and scale down in order to really dynamically, right? In relationship to the market and the market events, you can disseminate those resources at the right time with the right content um, to the right person. And you talked about how the gaps are not the same for every HCP across the country with every patient population. So dynamic deployment also sounds like individualized uh, deployment. Um, Kim, I, you know, what other data, texts, cool services do you see on the horizon? Yeah. Well, you know, we talked about, you know, how you can actually get to these networks and communities and, um, Something else that you can also layer on, you know, IQVIA has a wealth of data that's unparalleled and we can actually layer in, let's say like no see, see doctors. That's a big deal. Like, how do you get to them now? You know, there are some doctors that are no see doctors. So like utilizing different channels, like omni channel to get to them um, is really important. And we can layer that on to our studies. So we can conduct specific studies for brand and marketing to identify these scientific peer and advice leaders, as well as the social and digital leaders. Um, we can deliver uh, this information. We, we have a MedExpert platform that helps our team, uh, the brand teams segment these practitioners so that they really know who to go after for what activities. It's kind of like a playbook for the MSLs to activate their dynamic deployment. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's very closely knitted together. And when, you, when you're able to really have a, a, a great playbook to come off of and then activate a, a, a team that ha is armed with amazing information, um, on the therapy, on the mechanism of action, on the scientific narrative, but also on the practitioner. 
And that's how you gain that trust and advisement that we talked about earlier. Uh, I want to, sorry, Garth, uh, I just wanted to add to that really quickly. And in the terms of, you know, we talk about real world data and real world evidence, but really utilizing that information to inform, um, in addition to bringing field insights back about preferences and needs, there's the ability to understand the communities um, from a secondary data aspect to really inform that the approach as well. I think it's so neat to have these two perspectives, Kim on the discovering the thought leader networks and and equipping uh, MSL teams to go out and dynamically deploy and Jen on the side of taking the handoff of that uh, what equipment package and doing this dynamic deployment. So thank you both for joining us today. To learn more about how your organization can partner with IQVIA to discover and engage hidden thought leaders, visit IQVIA.com, that's I-Q-V-I-A.com. MAPS members, don't forget to subscribe, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate.